You're a swimmer, a cyclist, a runner. You're a triathlete. You're a conqueror of the multi-sport mentality. You seek greatness in your everyday life. But as an age grouper, your forte is the physical fitness that you strive for. Endurance is your middle name. You're listening to the Age Grouper for Life podcast, the ultimate source for living the triathlon lifestyle. Colin and Elliot will discuss the most optimal training techniques to get you where you want to be mentally and physically so you're ready to bring it. You can do it. Ready to bring it? Welcoming your host, Peak Triathlon and USAT certified coaches, Colin Cook and Elliot Kawaoka. All right. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening, everybody. This is Colin with. Hey, guys. It's Elliot. And this is episode 44, where we'll be interviewing Jason Fowler. So, how you doing, Jason? Good. Thanks for having me today. Looking forward yeah. to having a chat with you guys. Definitely. And uh, we're very excited to have you, too. So, um, for those of you that aren't familiar with Jason, um, Jason, why don't you give us a quick background of uh, your history and uh, um, where you're at here? Yeah. 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 Again, thanks for having me. Uh, my background is uh, I grew up really being an athlete and um, started racing motorcycles at age six. My dad bought me a bike and started racing pretty much after that. In Pepperell, um, Mass, right? <laughs> What's that? I said in, in Pepperell, Massachusetts, uh, right? Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. One of my first races actually was in Pepperell, Mass, right. which is your hometown, which is cool. And um, uh, so we started racing 30, 45 weekends a year. And, um, and then uh, at age 17, I had uh, an accident that um, left me paralyzed from the chest down. And, um, and then subsequently now have gone on to continue to be an athlete and marathons and triathlons and too many to count, I think at this point. Um, but um, a couple world championships in the hand cycle division and Hawaii and Ironman, which I think I guess I'm most proud of. And, um, and just continue to be an athlete and, and also a professional. I've been in medical sales for 20 years and, and just stopped that a year ago to, to start mindset coaching youth athletes and um, share some of this wisdom I've gotten over the last 40 years of competing. And, and really, I say competing, but I say push myself and really trying to, to I think that's really the, the common thread that we'll find. Maybe yeah. hopefully we can have a conversation. And you live, uh, you live in Boston now. And how old are you? Uh, for, just turned 47 this week. So yeah. Cool. Cool. So let's, let's backtrack a little bit. So big motocross guy from what I've read and things like we're on your way to kind of hopefully a pro career there. Right. So super competitive. And that was your life pretty much growing up. Right. Yeah. You know, it was, you know, I think I had to decide by, it was about age 14. if I was going to, if this was going to be my profession, I mean, that, that was really it. I, I sort of had expected that, but I, I had to make that decision as like, my dad was like, well, we're spending a lot of money here and we're putting a lot of time into this. And there's one thing to have a, a, um, you know, a hobby and something to have fun. But if you really want this, you're going to have to, to dig deep. And, um, I think that was about age 14. And so, yeah, so that, that was it. I wasn't going to go to college. I was just, that was going to be my thing. So, yeah. Crazy. And then it all just changed one day, like a 
with a flick of a switch, huh? Yeah, you know what? It it was um it was it was a really cool time for me because it it had everything I'd worked for. And you know, it's funny, you're you know, I'm 17 years old, like everything I've worked for, it, like it hadn't been that long, right? But but I had started racing at seven and I really had I mean, every day after school for you know that those nine, ten years, um, that's all I did. And so my life was that for that period of time. So that's all I knew. And so um, it just was like every other day we were out practicing and, and um, uh, here in Plymouth, Mass. And um, out in the middle of the forest, we used to, it was hard to find tracks, right? So we would literally go out into the middle of the forest and there's this big burnt out section of the, of the forest. And we made a track in there or someone had made a track and we had just sort of kept following it, right? And so um, had been there probably hundreds of times and um, had just was doing these starts where you just start from start and you, and you go like about 50 feet and you just sort of practice your, your throttle control and shifting. And, and, um, and I was just so focused on other things. There was so much other really cool stuff happening. I was kind of daydreaming. And, um, and so just really wasn't focused. And I, I didn't see a rock in sort of some straw grass. And I hit the rock. It stopped my bike instantaneously. So I'm, you know, probably going 30, 40 miles an hour and accelerating really quick. Right. And um, it just sent me flying sort of Superman style over the bars and then came straight down on my head as my feet came over me. And so it, it just sort of compressed um, the top of my head and then all the way down my spine. And so my spine broke at T5, which is about halfway down your spine. And so instantaneously, I'm sort of a little bit dazed and confused as I was lying there. A really good friend of mine, there was actually two other guys that were there as well. And um, they came over and right away, I knew something was just off. It just felt like, and I just was a little dazed, like everything else was fine, but I was just a little dazed and confused. And um, as I was lying there, I was like, hey, take my boots off. Something feels weird. And then like um, 30 seconds later, I'm like, take my boot off. He's like, he's like I did. Because I had had my helmet on, so I couldn't really see yeah. from the perspective that I was looking. And um, I was like, whoa. <laughs> I didn't feel anything, which, you know, Talk about just freaking me out at that point. Um, and um, so, yeah, so then I got airlifted to, well, first of all, we're in the middle of the forest, right? So then I got airlifted to, right. yeah. to Boston, to Brigham and Women's Hospital. But um, so just getting there and getting emergency personnel to like the firemen or whatever, like get, get took like a couple hours to get in there. Wow. Um, so it was an interesting day to say the least. I mean, um, you know, I had, you know, looking back now, or even at that time, there I had heard of other people getting paralyzed, and I knew what that was, but it was so few and far in between this, as far as the number of people that that ever happened to, and um, and sort of now, looking back again, you know, I think that's sort of the worst or the biggest worry of of all all the guys, because I see a lot more of those people that are happening now as the speeds are going up, and yeah. and as it's just the intensity's been up, so. So yeah, so that was quite a day, to say the least. I bet, I bet. So you kind of come to it and you make the realization that you're going to be, you know, paralyzed from the chest down. And so what was your initial reaction and like, what was your recovery like when you're first making that realization? Yeah, right away. I mean, right away, obviously, you, know, you can't feel your lower body, right? So so everything you do, it's like basically being an infant again. 
so it's it's like learning how to i'd say walk again <laughs> to roll now right and so like you're learning how to go to the bathroom you're like you know and and the things that go through your head are for me at least are am i ever going to be able to take care of myself am i ever going to have be able to have sex again am i you know like is this gonna am i gonna get healed someday like am i they're gonna find a cure and i'm gonna get better all of a sudden and so you just start worrying about a lot of different things. And then, you know, being a 17 year old, I really didn't know better. Um, when I say that, I, I mean that um, I, I, in a lot of ways, I didn't, I, I didn't know the brevity of it. I didn't know sort of the, that this was forever or what that would mean or any sort of the deeper meaning of it. And just luckily I had, you know, amazing family and parents and, and friends around me that really supported me. I mean, my high school bought me my first wheelchair. Um, you know, people just sort of rallied around and, and raised money and helped me with that sort of stuff. But for me, it was um, just like, okay, how do I get better? How do I just, and you know, we just sort of break from that. And I always tell this story to everybody that, that asked me about my accident, but it was my mom that, you know, this sort of set the tone, which I think describes it well as my childhood. It was like, it's been about, a day and a half or two days and my I'm sitting there lying in bed and just not doing well emotionally. And my mom's like, all right, well, we're going to give you about two weeks to feel bad for yourself. And then like, let's get on with this thing, you know, like let's get out of here and just like, you know, get on with this. Cause there's nothing we can do sitting here or lying here talking about it. So that was the tone that was taken right, right from the start. And so that, that was it. It was just like, how do we get better? And, um, you know, with that same tone, uh, I was at major hospital in Boston, wasn't getting the rehab that we thought was appropriate. It was like an hour and a half every day, which when you're lying there for, for that long. Um, so they checked me out against medical advice and, and had other people come to the house and help me at home to sort of accelerate that. And, and um, so, yeah, it was a, a crazy time just, and being a, again, a 17 year old, and I'll just tell this story and I come going on and on here, but like, the, the thing that the day that I got home, I went and took the PSATs, you know, sort of the pre-SAT prep test. And it was in the town next to me. And, um, and this, you know, being a 17-year-old, you just don't know better, right? So I, I get into the, the room. I'm a little late for the test. They're just about to start. And, um, and I don't know where to sit, right? So there's just all these rows and the, the desks, you know, those portable desks where you, you sit in it and you have a little desktop in front of you. And so what I did, there was only one chair left in the middle of a row. And so I just turned it around backwards. So I wasn't sitting in it, but I just, the desk was sort of over my lap. And um, about 20 minutes into the exam, I hear this dripping on the floor. And, I, you know, and all of a sudden I look down and I'm peeing on the floor. I feel nothing, right? I'm laughing about this now because I, I, I understand that like it sometimes like, shit happens right yeah. <laughs> and um it literally is just dripping on the floor and so that i feel like encompasses my and for me i just sort of laughed it off but I, at the same time i was just like you got to be kidding me and i'll never forget because i looked over at the kid next to me and he looked down and i just sort of looked back like all right just take your test and uh, i was like if i wheel away right now and i go to the bathroom or whatever it's just gonna be a giant puddle sitting there and i'm gonna screw up the test and um so i was like i'll just sit there I didn't feel anything. It was just like, it didn't bother me. It was just like, so exam was over and um, wheeled away. But like, I'll never forget wheeling away. And it was like, 
wheeling through my own pee that was sitting on the floor. Like, um, I mean, again, I, if you can't find humor in that, like as a 17 year old, you're just like shaking your head going like, gotta be kidding me. And I, you know, went out to the car and I was like, mom, I peed my pants right in the middle of the exam. She's like, oh, and that was the day I got home. You know, it was like, I was either the second day or the day I got home. I was like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. And I can't feel it. You know, you like, you have no idea what you're just supposed to go every few hours or whatever at first until you kind of learn and feel it, figure out your yeah. body. So, so again, that was the tone that started. Well, I mean, I, I won't keep going here, but I think that tells me why maybe you've been so driven and continue to be with a mindset like that because I think most people in that situation would be absolutely devastated, right? And that would be like <laughs> the real oh shit point of how much my life has changed here, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And you know what? I think I was really lucky in a lot of ways. I can't. I, I say as being sort of a young teenager because um, uh, I just rolled with it. You know, like I we would. How high of a, a curb can I figure out to jump up or down? Or like, how many stairs can I go? Like the first couple of weeks I was home, one of my old motocross buddies came over and he's like, I, I saw this video where these guys are wheeling down these steps and there's two steps coming out of my parents' front house and they had made a ramp, but there's about these two steps. I was like, no way, man, I'm never going down those steps. Like two steps, like shouldn't be that big a deal. And he did it and he like basically like crashed out of the chair. But he's like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, so we made it sort of a game getting in this wheelchair and then also going off to college and, and sort of rearranging my life. But, and um, you just sort of make it a challenge. You just sort of make it a game. And that, that really served me well for just pushing myself and pushing the limits. I mean, my mom got pissed at me in the first month that I got my first wheelchair because I, I, I took the hacksaw and took the handles off the back of it. I was like, I don't want people picking me up or like pushing me. <laughs> like forget these things and there's these things called wheelie bars so you don't wheelie right right and so i literally stripped the thing of all the things like it's too heavy i was like you know it's like what you would do for your bike right you're like is there like reflectors or something like it was the same thing with the wheelchair it was just like i had it painted it was like you know trying to like dial it in like how do i get this thing lighter how do i you know it just ended up being a automation of, of um so that was that was fun you know just that was that was my life I got to imagine there was some uh, wheelie practice going on maybe too or what? Oh yeah. You know, I was horrible. Like my, my level of skill, because you can imagine all of a sudden you're in this world with half your body. And I say half, but I really only have about a third because I have no abs or core because my level of injury is just below my chest. So I have no core, which some guys, which makes it entirely different um, versus other guys that have that. And, um, and so I have no balance. And so I'm just sitting on this chair that it's just sort of um, free floating around in this chair. And, and, um, and so I, I wasn't very good at any of those things like wheeling or um, yeah, just, and, you know, becoming, you know, having been an athlete, you're like, you gotta be kidding me. Like I can't even do a wheelie in this thing. Like I feel like I'm going to flip over or transfer myself. And you know, what also came with that was a lot of medical issues as well. Like I had these things called um, spasms, which, involuntary muscle spasms where my legs were just always tight so basically some of the nerves are still intact but the way that it works is your brain sends a signal and then uh, your 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 body and your nerves send the signal back saying like yeah i'm here and i don't have that that signal that, that is being sent back and so the basically a, a, a sort of mix up of the nerves in a real technical term in there right <laughs> and then um uh and then so my legs would just be constantly spasming and tight 
And after about six months of that, my hips became dislocated and I had to have this medical advice implanted that, that took care of that. And so, you know, it, a lot of things came with that. And it was like a, a month hospital stay and surgeries. And, and so you're like, God, I'd be kidding me. Like I just got out of the hospital like nine months ago. Like there's more of this. So there's always been sort of that in the background of, of, of trying to manage the health component of it and, and, and be my best in that re- regard. So, yeah. So where do we go from there? So you're, you know, I saw you, so you went to school. Did you graduate from college and everything? Yeah. Yeah. So I graduated from, well, I went to Northeastern University for half the time. And then the half I went to um, uh, University of Illinois and Champaign-Urbana, which what's cool about that, that school is they have a wheelchair racing program. It's one of the only in, in the, in the world really. I mean, I know there, there's several now, but they're really sort of um, a varsity sports program for wheelchair athletics. And so there's about 120 kids in, wow. in, um, in chairs on campus. And there's about 30 of us on the track and road, road racing team. And the coach happened to be from Hanover, Mass, which, you know, right next door. And, um, and he had been out there for several years. And, and so um, that was amazing. I got really an introduction to, to, um, to really being an elite athlete as a wheelchair athlete and we traveled the world racing and competing and, and, um, and I assume the reason you're interested in that school was because of that program. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was it. It was, um, you know, it was about six months after my accident. I, I borrowed a racing wheelchair from a friend of a friend and, um, and that sort of led me down the road of, of just sort of, I would say re- replacing motocross. But, uh, you know, as I said earlier, it's sort of like, for me, it was, it's always been, how do I be my best? And I think sports has just been the vehicle for that and endurance sports because of, I think my past and my upbringing, it's just like, uh, it's for me, it's always been fun to work really hard and then see results. And so wheelchair racing absolutely was that I'll never forget the first day I got in the racing wheelchair. And it was like, uh, first I was scared to death. I was only going like 12 miles an hour. And, um, and you just feel so confined because you're you're just steering with just your arms. I'm like, whoa, this is pretty crazy. And I think I probably went down the hill like maybe 17 or 18. And I literally was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, this is awesome and also scary. And I was horrible. Like, I couldn't steer the thing. I could barely push it. I think I had to get a push back up the hill to get back into the driveway. It was just like, but I was like, wow, this is cool. But what planted the seed for that was I was lying in my hospital bed when I first was injured and I saw the Boston marathon on television and there was racing wheelchairs finishing it. And I was like, that is so cool. I was like, that's awesome. Look at how fast they're going. I was like, I'm doing that. And so, you know, five, six months later, I had found this chair from a, a family friend and, um, and started racing and that was, that was it. And so, so, so it, for me, it was like, how do I incorporate this into my college experience? And so uh, I applied and then didn't get in at first and then, and then got in a semester later. And, um, and so, yeah, we raced and trained six days a week and, and, um, and man, it was fun. And I also learned a lot from other guys in chairs at that point. It was just like, they weren't, you know, at that point getting into wheelchair athletics, like when you're into wheelchair athletics, you're not concerned about being in the chair, like you're over that part of it. Right. And so for me, that, that allowed me to focus on what I had and not what I didn't have. And also, um, 
you know, just start learning about how do you be better in the chair and everything that goes along with that learning from others. So, so that was a really awesome step for me. So tell me, I don't know enough about it. I've obviously seen Ironman racing and um, the challenge division, but um, so what is wheelchair racing? Like, is it all like the same distance or like what were you doing in college? Yeah. So basically it's very similar to sort of able-bodied sports and athletics. So the, the wheelchair racing is, or the racing chair is, is um, uh, really the running event. So, uh, you know, it's more like, more like running. And then the other thing is hand cycling, which is more like cycling. Right. Although sometimes you do see hand cycles in marathons, but it's not really the place for them, but that's another yeah. story. Another <laughs> yeah. go on and on about that. Yeah. But um, so anyway, so for me, um, uh, I did 10 Ks, half marathons, marathons for a long time. And then, and then quite honestly, just sort of got bored with that part of it. It was just looking for a new challenge and uh, a sort of childhood hero growing up. I had seen him do Ironman. And he was a pro motocross racer and I saw him finish Ironman. I was like, just like I saw him do the marathon, I saw him do Ironman and um, that planted the seed for triathlon. And so at that point, um, well, actually at that point I had done about 30 marathons and, um, and so I was really good at the run portion, right, of, of the triathlon. Um, but as most of us, they're like, oh, I'll never do a triathlon because I, I can't swim or I'm a horrible bike or I'm not, I don't like running. And, um, at that point I didn't even have a bike and I, I could swim, but you know, sort of like most of us starting, uh, I, it wasn't very good. And I, I couldn't do freestyle with any form whatsoever. And then all of a sudden now I'm having to only use half my body. I was like, well, how do I do this? And so I, I got a swim coach, started swimming and, um, you know, a lot of it, the way you swim is you sort of initiate it with your hips and and for your rotation. And, and so I had to learn how to sort of a, just do it a little bit differently. And, um, but basically just freestyle. So what I do with that and the equipment that I use is I have some um, braces that I made for my legs. And what that does is it keeps my knees straight. And then I also have just a wetsuit bottom that I put on there and the regulations allow that right. it was like a five mil wetsuit that I wear on my, so that floats my lower body. And so basically I'm like a, a mermaid, merman <laughs> sort of suit. <laughs> Right. And, um, and then it's all upper body. So, so that's basically the swim for me. And again, it's a, it's a lot more technical than that just because of my injury level with balance and rotation and all that stuff. But, but for all intents and purposes, it, it's sort of, I'm sort of a middle of the road, um, uh, swimmer. I think my Ironman time was around 120. So, okay. um, and, uh, my halves are around like 37, something like that. Yeah. Um, and, um, and then for the, the the bike, I use a hand cycle, which is a recumbent bike, basically. And um, we're really low to the ground. If you guys have seen the hand cycles oh, yeah. out there, you're like, wow, what do you guys, you know, every time where anybody sees us out on the road or on a bike path, they're like, laying down on the job, huh? Like, you know, there's always some sort of wise ask remark about how low our bikes are, which, you know, the cool part about those is that um, they're aerodynamic and otherwise you're just sitting upright. And, um, and the wind is just in your chest. Like you can imagine if you were just on your bike and you had to sit upright and not hold the bars, like the wind's just going to be in your chest, which it just slows you down considerably. So except in Hawaii, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I but, can only imagine. Yeah. Oh, and actually the interesting enough, cause this, this technology just came about probably around 2007 where they started laying down on the bikes. And so the first time I did Ironman in 2004, um, 
we had an, I had an upright bike where the wind was in my chest and I didn't make the bike cut off that year, which is another story. So that was my first Ironman. But, but anyway, so we use a hand cycle for the, for the, uh, the bike portion and then a racing wheelchair for the, for the run. And, um, and so it's, for me, it's definitely a lot of the same muscle groups. Um, you know, when I get out of the swim and get into the bike, it's, it takes me about 30 minutes. I don't know to get my shoulders and everything to sort of feel, to feel them again, <laughs> getting out of the swim to get, you know, to, to sort of ease into it. Well, I, guess, I guess that's more for Ironman. I always sort of think about that. I mean, you know, any, any 2.4 mile swim, you're definitely going to feel it in your upper body. Sure. Um, so, so it's slightly different muscles for each discipline that you're using, but Mostly it is, I mean, it's all arms, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's slightly different. It's, but it, you're really, and this is really where it, the experience comes in. It's like, how do you sort of um, use and find different muscle groups? You know, there's a lot of different muscles in your arms and forearms and hands and wrists and the way you hold your shoulders and, you know, just using um, positioning and technique. That's been something I've had to learn over the years and, and get better at is like, how do you transfer the pain from one muscle group to the next to, to sort of spread that out. Cause otherwise it is just a lot of the same and you could get overuse and you just fatigue really quick. So it's taken a while to figure that component of, of managing the stress on your different parts of the body. But yeah. Um, yeah. it, you know, it's all upper body, which is definitely a challenge. All right. So, I mean, going back and you're saying how, especially when you first were, paralyzed you know you you didn't have the balance and things so like swimming is so much balance right like so how long did it take you to really get kind of comfortable with swimming my first triathlon i got in the water and um you know of course you're freaked out it was in boston harbor it was the i forget the name of the race it was in two one and um it was the first one they had and um uh, we went around the World Trade Center in Boston in the harbor. And, it, you know, it's freezing cold and it's also Florida water. And yeah. I put a wetsuit on. I got in the water and I'm freaking out. There's about 50 people in the first wave. And um, I just couldn't even breathe, right? And so all of a sudden I get on my back. I just started doing like the, the backstroke and doggy paddle. And I, I made it. It was a sprint. Yeah. And I think it took me like, I don't know, 30 yeah. minutes or something. It was – so it took a while to figure that out. It just – it really did. It was, it was horrible. It was funny because my stroke – I'd have this little like stutter stroke underneath the water to like figure myself out. Like, what is that stroke? I was like, I'm just keeping my head above water. Um, so it, you know, I, I just kept working with different coaches. Like I, I think it probably took about two years to, to be able to get efficient and um, what I would say reasonable in the water. And, um, and then also work with different bracing and working with wetsuit stuff and material. And, and, um, and now I sort of wear a binder around my, my abs to keep them a little flatter um to keep myself more of a straight line and um but it was just a it's constant improve constant sort of trying to improve and so just looking and, and practicing and, and getting videotaped and um you know the sort of the standard routine but it just you're dealing with such a thing that even when i reach out to coaches they're like well i haven't really worked with a para-athlete before and i was like all right let's figure this out so if, if you're uh willing to be creative and figure it out like everything's figure outable then it it was cool otherwise you're like oh i don't you know they can't relate to like well i got in the water like they'd meet right and they'd come back and be like okay i got in the pool 
and I didn't use my abs or my lower body. And man, I don't know how you do it. Like, so it's like, you know, how do you relate? How do you sort of coach that? And so yeah. finding para athletes, and that's a lot of what I do now is sort of teaching other para athletes um, how to sort of you know, go along in the process of getting better. And then even then, it's different because everybody's injury is different. And right. so it's really hard. It's not like you're just going to pick it up in a magazine article or some video and be like, so I would be watching all these videos. I'm like, okay, I could take this, but that doesn't apply. And then you just got to figure it out. And so there was just, everything was like that, all the equipment. And you can imagine there's just not people that make triathlon bikes for hand cycles. Like, so I'm making all my own gear. And uh, literally my dad made my first carbon fiber bike um, wow. in his garage and he didn't have any carbon fiber experience. <laughs> and so I'd be like, this is what the position I want to sit in. This is exactly what I want. Can you make it? Like, and he did, you know, so we still do that. I, I'm actually at this moment, I'm, I'm doing the, my first um, everyday wheelchair. I'm making myself out of carbon fiber um, just as like a little side project. And um, just because I don't know. Why not? Right. Yeah. Cool new stuff. And yeah. Yeah. So that is cool. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was going to ask something that like, uh, you know, to, to teach somebody to swim when you can't relate, I, I got to imagine that's pretty darn challenging and uh, must have got frustrating for you at times too, huh? Yeah, there's those times where uh, I think the most frustrating time was I did my first half and it was down in um, Narragansett, Rhode Island. Yeah. And at whatever, I forget, maybe it was 2003. And, um, uh, and I had this in mind of, of wanting to do Ironman. And, um, and I did my, I got out there and it was a tropical storm had passed. And so I, the swim took me like double the time it should have. It was one of those ones where you swim out. It's, it's sort of a, a U shape, right? You swim out like yeah. a couple hundred yards and then you go down, whatever. Right. A mile Is that firm, man? Back in. Yeah. 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 I've done that one before. Yeah. I know yeah. exactly what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. And for whatever reason, there's just big waves coming in. So it, it took me like, it should take you like, three minutes to get to the first buoy and it took me like 15 minutes because the currents coming in were so strong yeah and then i got out on the bike and it was a you know it was a pretty hilly course at least for me especially on being in a hand cycle and i and when i did my first half i hadn't done over 35 miles on my bike wow and so my arms just weren't you know you can imagine you're pushing a hand cycle with just your arms upright and so it's kind of like this bench press um rowing motion the entire time and um and i just started it just started you know that time where you're, you're going to the edge and all of a sudden you get to the point where you're like i think this is hurting me like i think this hurt you know like there's a there's a pain threshold and you're like okay that's painful and like it's just sore and i'm tired and i'm chafing and shit's burning and sweat's running into the chafing and you know it's like there's that and then you get a step further and you're like i think i'm hurting myself <laughs> and so the last like 12 miles i was like i think i'm hurting myself and this is going to be brutal like i don't know how i could be double this or how i can even race this because i'm you know barely moving at this point surviving yeah so at that point and i got into the race chair and the run and i was fine like i i could do a half marathon all day like it's just i've always like my endurance has always been high and i could i could do that it's hard but it but i can do it i just been really comfortable in that that part of it but so I got done with that race and I'm going like, well, this sucks, man. Like it was kind of one of those downers. I was like, does it really have to be this hard? Like you gotta be kidding me. Like it was just like, 
it just was next level. And I was like, I think I'm going to hurt myself doing this. So I had to kind of step back and like, okay, what can I do? I'm like, this it's something, you know, so I just started doing research and then I found this thing called ART, which for me at that point, I had these basically scar tissue in my, in my triceps already developing and um, at the sort of interchange of my elbow. And so I was like, man, it's, it was just, I had to then go down the road of like, how do I just keep this moving? And, um, but it was just really frustrating. And it, it was just a downer because it was like, oh man, my arms just aren't made to do this. And I'm just bumping up against this wall of like, what's possible for me. But I just kept moving forward. And I was like, okay, I just keep pushing it. Maybe it's just going to take conditioning. And that combined with, with just um, going to body work, stretching, all those, all the things you know you're supposed to be doing. Um, I got to the point where I could get more comfortable with the distance, but it just, it just took time. Um, but definitely these periods of like, of just, you know, I, I think I'm resilient, but you, at times where you just get tired because it's, it's not days or weeks, but it's, it turns into like months of frustration or months of just like grinding it out. Cause I, I believe that life you're meant to grind it out. You're meant to sort of push yourself and it's meant to be hard for periods of time, but you can't, I truly believe that you can't do that forever and you're just not meant to like, there's just something that you're like, okay, like this just isn't meant to be. Okay. Um, and I never, I never really believe that, but I, I truly believe that now, like that, that you're, you know, at some point you have to sort of ebb and flow with the resistance as much as you push through that. But is that what somewhat intrigues you about Iron Man is <laughs> the distance and kind of like the impossibility of it that, really intrigues you to I mean kind of prove the impossible I mean I, I kind of remember when Colin and I got into the sport and I even went over the distances and I'm like man this is I don't know if we could do this and I mean so I can somewhat relate to that and you're just I mean you're a whole nother level and it's I mean that I kind of get that that mindset though is that kind of yeah what you know what you know what what yeah it's interesting when I first when I first thought of it, I just thought, okay, first I'm, I'm on the road to being a, wanting to be a professional athlete with motocross. And I thought I had what it took there. And I was like, I wanted to carry that into it. I think I was at first I was like, I, I wanted to prove myself. Like I wanted to prove that I could be an elite athlete that I could do it. And, um, and so right away, um, Iron Man was that it was like, Oh, this is, this is big time. Like this, this is no joke. Like if you can do this even, with your feet and your legs and your whole body, like that's pretty awesome. And it takes a huge commitment. And, um, and so it, it was almost like, I don't know if I can do this, which for me was like, yeah, like, okay, let's, this is intimidating. Like, I don't know. Like, but it, and at the same time, that was really exciting. I was like that. And that drove me every day for, for now it, you know, it was years. It was literally years of, of time and effort and focus to get it. And, and now looking back and knowing I'm like, anybody can do Ironman. It, it's really just was for me, it was just putting the time in and sort of conditioning your mind to say like, Hey, I don't have this figured out, but just believing in myself that if I put the time in anything is possible. And now being able to use that for in other parts of my life. So, I, and that's, you know, really what I got into mindset coaching now for youth is like, 
because it, it's really life skills, right? If you can take that and then apply it to other parts of your life, it, it, everything is figure outable that you're going to suffer, that you're going to have periods of exhilaration, that you're going to have success, that you're going to, um, and I probably did everything wrong the first time. And, and, um, it was when I first did, when I first did my first, my first Ironman, I, I qualified for Kona the first year, which was horrible because all of a sudden now I'm, I'm not, you know, I, it's my first year. Like I haven't put that many miles in. I haven't put that many years of work in. It was only two and a half years of sort of triathlon, which for a wheelchair athlete just isn't that long to get the muscle. And that's, well. and yeah. sorry, Jason, real quick on that. So you qual did you qualify at a half? Yeah. So I qualified at a half in uh, Lubbock, Texas, right, okay. the, yeah. which is a, a brutal course. They sort of choose that one first because the, the, the race organizers there are awesome. And then also just that the race is, it's pretty tough. Like it's just all hills and heat and in the middle in June. And I think one year it was literally 115 degrees. So, um, so it's just one of those places where you just suffer. So it's, it's a good half to suffer to get ready for Hawaii. And so I qualified my first year and I got out there and, and took six months off uh, from work before starting work and, and got to the race and got into the swim and got seasick and it took me forever. And I got out on the bike and, and you know, the, the Hawaii course is just, it's tough, right? The conditions are tough. The wind is tough. I knew the time cutoff was going to be tough. And you know, for everybody that doesn't know about it, it's like, obviously you have to finish the swim in a certain amount of time, cumulatively the bike in a certain amount of time. And, and for most people that isn't an issue, but for wheelchair athletes, it definitely can be. And so you're bumping up against that time. And, um, and it's not for me now, but, but it was then. And so uh, I got to mile 108 of the bike at the, just at the airport as you're coming back into town and the race official stopped me and he's like, your day's over, man. I'm sorry. You didn't make the cutoff. I was like, dang it. You gotta be kidding me. Right. And so like, that was it. And so I, I, at that point I said, okay, I'm coming back here next year. I'm going to do my best to get back and, and finish this thing. And, um, uh, I went to the trials the next year. I didn't make it. And, um, and for three straight years, I, I worked my ass off. And every year I went to the trials. And I actually even two of the years I went to the European trials in, um, in Belgium and, um, and didn't make it there either. And I mi missed it by as, as minimum or as small amount as, as like a minute and 20 seconds, uh, three minutes. It was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, and for the hand cycle division, they only accept about four people from around the world yeah. plus one past winner. So it's a really small group of us that get to go. And so, you know, which makes it special, but also hard, also tough. Yeah. Um, um, so at, yeah, just, you know, answer your question. Like I kind of went on and on there, but it, it really, um, for me, it was the biggest challenge I could, I could get myself in front of to, um, to, um, to push myself and really, I, I think to feel alive, but I also, I just was trying to prove my, to myself that I could do it and that I, um, you know, which is the same thing that I, I felt when I was a kid and I wanted to be a professional motocross racer. And, and now that's the same feeling I feel now going after the sort of mindset coaching for youth athletes and like wanting to be better. And, and, and so I've taken that and, but it's also learning, you, you pick up all those things in the way in which you approach it right over time. And I, I never sort of got this before and what that wisdom thing meant, but like, I'm kind of getting that now. I, you know, I feel like I have a little bit having lived for 40 years and going through all these life experiences that you then take with you to use regardless of what it is, whether it's sports or business or um, school or 
any sort of goal setting. So that, that, that for me, that feeling of like, oh man, when you feel that, that sense of, um, I don't know if I can do this. Like, you, you know, you got to go after it, right? Like that's, that's a cool feeling. Well, and what I like about you is, and your whole story is that, I mean, you had those questions, I don't know, for your first one, but now you're just, you want to really excel at it and you want to win. And I mean, you're, I really want to hear about your, your story about that year you were competing with a competitor and you're, you're saying like it was kind of like the iron war um, for the hand cycle division and yeah. how you made the pass in the energy lab. So kind of, I mean, you should write a book about that because I'll, I'd definitely read that. Yeah. You know what? It, um, well, first, uh, it, so the, the person that I was racing against was David Bailey. And so if, if anybody knows, if you know motocross, you know, David Bailey and he was a world champion motocross racer for many years. And he had an injury and in, I think it was like 88. So like three or four years before mine. And, um, and he had always been a really elite wheelchair racer. And again, he was the reason why I, I had, signed up to do Ironman. I was like, Oh, he did it. I gotta be kidding me. And, um, and so, you know, sort of fast forward to, um, 2009 and, um, go to the trials. And so I, I finally, in 2008, I finally got back to Ironman and I got second place and, um, you think you'd be happy with second place. And I just wasn't right. You're like second just is never, never good when you're at that level. And, um, so I went back the next year to the trials and um and david was there i was like this is cool like we get to race right and and at the trials i think i beat him by like three or four minutes and he, he's like you know wasn't in great shape he's just kind of like he's like no i'm just out here racing he's like i'm just kind of making my comeback like this is gonna be my last my last go at it he's like this is yours man like he kind of just sort of downplayed the whole thing and and he's you know he's a he's a competitor like obviously he wants to win right and um and so we we're sort of chatting all summer and he's like, you know, like I'm, again, I'm just here sort of, um, yeah, this is my sort of like victory lap kind of thing, but I, you know, like I know he's sort of sandbagging it. Right. And, um, so we get out there in the race and, um, I beat him out of the swim by about 20 or 30 seconds and he passes me in transition, which, you know, is such a novice mood on my part um to get past in transition so we basically are within 10 seconds of each other coming out of transition and for the first 40 miles of the hands or the of the bike um we go we go back and forth actually about no i'm saying about 35 miles we go back and forth like literally just back and forth for 35 miles i'm like ooh, this is gonna be a good one right like we're just that evenly matched and then all of a sudden i just sort of started fading and um and uh, he's just started pulling away a little bit. I was like, ooh, it's that time of the race where you're like, I don't know if I should go. Like, if I go, I may, I just may die. I'm like, I just have to, I just have to listen to my body right now. Otherwise, I'm going to blow up. And so um, I let him go. And, um, and I had people out in the course kind of telling me time, right? So, like, they could tell me. And so I was coming back down and, and just turned back on the Queen K. Um, coming up from wherever it is there up at the end where you're taking a ride, basically a mile 83 or four right there. And, um, and so I'd just taken that right turn and I'm, I'm down about nine minutes. And um, I thought, oh, wow, this is brutal. And I, I'm not giving up the whole time, right? I'm just pushing as hard as I can. 
and you know, for me, I, I'm hanging by a string. Like if I push too hard or like I, I'm dying, like I, at that point I, I'm on fumes no matter what. And I'm in good shape. It's I'm sort of the best shape of my life kind of a thing at that point. And, and um, I just keep pushing it and I, and I'm always better at the end anyways, because I've just, my endurance is I'm always faster at the end of the race than the beginning. And um, so I, I, um, I come into T2 and, um, and he's there. And, you know, transition for us is about two to three minutes probably. So I'm like, ooh, okay. So I just made up a good six or seven minutes in the last 30 miles, right? So I'm like, ooh, okay. So uh, come into T2 and, and all of a sudden he sees me and he goes, fucking Fowler. Like he wasn't expecting to see me because he was getting times. He was getting the same times that I were was right. That is out there like, Oh, I got 10 minutes. Oh, he's way back. Right. Like meaning he can't see me. Right. So he's, um, so he's basically leaving as I'm coming and, um, it lights him up and he puts like another three minutes on me in the first four miles of the, of the marathon. And, uh, cause I had just given it everything I had the last bit of the, the hand cycle. And I was like, okay, I'm just digging deep. And it, it takes me a few miles to get going. And, um, and uh, it's at about mile 12. And I'm just, I'm finding my groove at about mile five or six. And I'm just comfortable in that race here at the end. Like the run just feels really good. And it's fun. It, like you're sitting up right now and the crowd's cheering and your family's out there and it's hot and you're sweating and, you know, you're, you're, you're dying, but you're just, loving it right it's just so fun and i see him in the distance and i go you got to be kidding me like he's there right and i literally just start breaking down crying i just start tearing i'm like i'm gonna win like i got it i got this right but i'm thinking oh man i gotta get my ass keep going right because he's still like way up in the distance and so at mile 16 the bottom of Polani hill i pull up next to him just at that moment literally at the bottom of the hill and, you know, for us to get up that hill, yeah, that must be a tough which, climb. what is it, like a third of a mile? It's a tough right? climb yeah, for yeah. anybody. Yeah, but yeah. Right? It's a tough, at that point of the race, you know, whatever you are, 132 miles in or something, somewhere, whatever it is, right? And um, um, and um, so we're going like two, three miles an hour. I mean, you basically could walk faster. So we had family members that were like walking up the hill next to us. And his coach trainer slash neighbor this guy Todd was walking next to him, next to us, right? And he's like, we get about halfway up and he's like, David, are you going to let him do this to you? <laughs> right? I'm sitting, I'm pushing right up next to him. And we're just huffing and puffing and barely moving up this hill, right? And I'm thinking to myself, I don't think he has a fucking choice, right? And then, um, so he, he kind of sprints at that point and he gaps me by about six or seven seconds. And then by the top of the hill, um, uh, I caught back up to him and um, and passed him right there. And we're going down this hill. And he's actually just in front of me, I guess, at that point. And just down the hill, and there's the, the at the bottom of the hill, there's the um, set of lights. Yeah. And the cop didn't see us coming. So he's directing traffic, and he's letting them go across, right? And this guy on a motor scooter, and this is where we didn't go down the, the right side. We went down the left, and then we jogged over to the bottom of the hill over to the right side. And um, so he was, wasn't directing traffic. He didn't see us. We're, and we're going like 35 miles an hour down this hill, right? And, um, and this motor scooter comes out in the front of David, and he has to swerve to miss him. And when he does that, 
he misses the turn to go over to the right. And, um, and so at the last second, he's like, fuck it. He just went across the median, right? And, I, and there's all lava rocks in the median. So he kind of jumps into these lava rocks and across and floats across and gets to the other side. And meanwhile, I missed the turn as well because I swerved as well to miss this motor scooter. Uh, like he's done. Like he's a flat tire. I mean, you know the tires we use on these bikes and it's the same as like a time trial bike, right? And I'm like, he's got to have a flat. And he's fine. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And so he's at this point, he's, he's like five seconds in front of me and he waits for me. He's like, come on, man. Because like he didn't want to he didn't want this to be like, oh, I, you know, to be that, to be determined that how he beat me or whatever. So like he just waited like literally two seconds for me to get up next to him. And then we literally for six straight miles, we battled back and forth, like just literally side by side. And normally in a racing lecture, you can sort of get it behind and draft or like find out somebody else's pace. We're just like, screw that. Like just back and forth, strict six straight miles. And, um, it was brutal. Like, I'll never forget. Like, I just, I have this picture and, um, it shows me with my head down and he's just like, got this look on his face. Like he's about to cry. Like we're just like in the most pain and we're basically sprinting. We're like, we're going to just put each other into like, there's no, like any pacing at all. I'm just sprinting as hard as I can. Like if the race ended there, I would have collapsed. And, um, finally, we almost get, it was about a quarter of a mile from the energy lab. And um, I just put in a big sprint and my knees and elbows are like on my chair. My, my head's kind of drooped over and I look over at him and he just kind of stops pushing. And he just, he, he didn't have it. He was just like, that was it. So at that point, like it gave me a little boost and I just hit it harder and harder. And I just kept pushing and I didn't stop. And I got to the energy lab, but I looked back and he was probably 25 seconds behind me. And, um, and at that point I'm like, Oh, like he's not giving up. Right. He's just, he's just fading a little bit. Like you had a moment, he's going to collect elves or stop at an aid station, get some, some Kool-Aid, whatever they got out there. Right. And, um, and I'm just kept looking behind me, but I'm sprinting, sprinting and um, get to the back of the energy lab, come back. And, um, and at that point, uh, you know, you can see the look on his face as they went by him and I was like, Ooh, he's hurting. And, um, and I think I got like about a minute on him at that point. And, and there's still however many miles to go, six or seven miles to go or something or five miles to go, right. To come back. And, um, I just kept looking over my shoulder, like, is he there? Is he there? And I'm pushing as hard as I can. But I'm like, I think I got this, but I'm, then I'm worried about like, oh, like, am I getting a flat tire or like, you know, who knows? Or somebody jumps out in front of me, you're just like a little bit on edge. And then finally I get to um, Ali Drive and, and, um, and come down on the finish sheet. It was just like, oh. I could kind of put my shoulders down and, and, um, and know that, and cross the finish and know that I won, but it was like, oh man it just felt so good to like be racing him. And it, it just was like this huge weight off my shoulders. Um, world champion, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. All that work. So it was just to have it happen that way to race him, you know, the guy that inspired me to do it in the first place, the guy that was, you know, top of his game and motocross and triathlon world and to do it. And, and, 
he, you know, he probably wasn't at his best or his prime or whatever, but like, it didn't matter how fast we did it. It didn't matter any of those things. It's just the way in which we raced each other. Um, he came into transition after, and I think I beat him by, it didn't matter at that point at four minutes or something, but he just, he had nothing left. And I, I the same, like there was just nothing like we, you know, guys race hard in, in Hawaii, especially like it's gonna, and it just, when you can push yourself and you know that you push yourself so much that you just thought there's just nothing else I could have put into the race. There's nothing else I got to put into the training. It was just that kind of an experience where you just, you're so satisfied because you're like, I did everything like to the nth degree. It was cool. There is. Very cool. Awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Awesome experience. Sure is. That's a great story. Very Thanks, cool. Man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. So we got to wind it down here pretty quickly here, but cool. I guess my question to you is, you know, you've got plenty of excuses that you could use, right. To just pack it in, you know, just kind of, you know, just, just move on and, and live. Uh, I don't know what the right word is there, but just, you know, pack it in, I guess. And what, what is it that inspires you or what is it that you would recommend to others to think about you know, when they're struggling, maybe? Yeah. You know what? I, I think the first thing is, is really doing a deep dive into like, um, and being honest and real with yourself to, to who you are, like what it is and who you are, where you've been, where you are and, and really what you want. And I think, I think once you, once you determine who you are, who you really are, and then in determining what you want, what you really want for your life, like what you want to accomplish, who do you want to be in the world? You start asking those questions, like, where you think, Oh, those are too big of a question. Like I, I think that may take months or years to figure out, but, I think you start asking those questions and, and then you start holding yourself accountable to, to really like just doing that and really moving forward in that direction. And, and what you'll find is that shit gets hard, shit gets real. And that's where the rubber meets the road. It's like, what are you going to do when, when you don't feel like doing it? And that usually is you know, every morning when the alarm goes off and you're like, oh, I'm tired. I don't want to get out of bed or I don't want to go to swim practice or I don't want to do this course or, you just, but I think, I think you have to really, I think you have to really want it. And, um, and I think that just starts with being self-aware about who you are and what you really want. Cause it may be what someone else told you you wanted or what you think you should do. Or, so I think just being really honest about what that is. Cause I think when you really are passionate about something, um, you're just going to do everything you can to do that. And it, some people, it may be their family and being the best parent, some people it may be whatever it is, the best accountant, the best, you know, there you could whatever that is. I think you just once you decide that, and um we're all strong, right? We're all we all go through our Ironman and in our life. And that may just mean getting up and taking care of the kids in the day or working your job. But um um, you know, if you want I I, I you know, I won the Ironman, but I, at the same time I I I felt empty inside. And so I, I think that if you really want to feel fulfillment, you want to feel a deeper level, like really understanding who you are and where you want to go. I think that's the first step. And, and a lot comes from there. And, um, you know, what you guys are doing is so special because you, you talk about how you get to the next level, how you sort of the quality of life, not the quantity of life and, and pushing yourself. And, and I think that's for me, I've, you know, that's the journey. It, it's really not a race cause there's not a finish line. 
Um, and if there is, you should just be trying to fit as much in as you can between now and the time we're a hundred, right? We're all going to be a hundred and, <laughs> and pushing it. Okay. Very cool. We'll still oh, be racing. We'll still be racing when we're a hundred. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Who knows? Like some of us will be in chairs for other reasons and we'll be, you know, <laughs> racing around the, racing around the park in our wheelchairs or something. Or, yep. I, you know, I still have it. Yeah. So what are your future goals in the sport? Be or something and I'll be in my wheelchair and fall. And <laughs> yeah. You know what? Um, for triathlon, especially I want to continue to compete and race. Uh, uh, I've sort of sequenced it now where I, I do every two or three years and, and doing competitive stuff. And, um, and so I'll do one year and then do two years of racing and one year off or two years off. And, and when I say off, it's like, you're still racing, competing, but just, maybe it's a 70.3 or a couple marathons or, you know, just sort yeah. of keep it, keep active and fit. I'll always exercise for health and, and wellness and, and because it feels good. And I'd love to be able to do Ironman every few years, just, just because, and, um, I, I, I want to say I have another one or two Hawaii's in me. I hope I can qualify and get there and, and, um, compete for another championship. But I, I went last year in 2019 as well and got, um, third place. And, um, but I want to get back and, you know, for me, it's about having my best day and just how do I get stronger, faster, fitter? Um, I don't have to win, but you know, I want to feels good. Um, (laughs) Doesn't right. So that, that for me is, is continuing to push myself and, and do other races. And, and, um, you know, I never get bored with it. I know that. And it's, it's, um, it it makes me better at everything I do when I do triathlon, especially because it, it's so humbling and it, and it's so hard and the training can be so hard if you, if you make it. Um, so it, it just, it makes, it makes me better and it, it makes other things because I I'm comfortable with it now. It, it, it's a comfort zone too. It's also like I go there to hide because it's the easiest thing I do is just training every day. It's like, okay, yeah, I, I sort of, you're right. It's just a formula. It's like, okay, you get up, you, you train and you work hard and, and good things happen. Yeah. Oh, it's, cool. a, it's a lifestyle. It's kind of what Colin yeah. and I really push is, shouldn't it be a chore it's it's a lifestyle it's something we all enjoy it's our passion and it's the same as I mean, for you too so it just makes yeah. us feel alive yeah yeah absolutely i love that absolutely so so yeah that's that's pretty much it for me in, in sport um and then doing other things i'm, I'm starting to do some off-road stuff like i create i just built a little um uh, e-assist mountain bike and cycle <laughs> which is cool and those things, if you ever try it, like I never thought I'd put a, a, a motor on a bike because I'm sort of more of a purist in yeah. that regard. But getting off road, like it's just, it's tougher for using arms only. And so this motor I got on the thing goes like 29 miles an hour. I'm like, <laughs> so you ever see a hand cycle cruise past you at like 29 and you're going 25? You're like, and if you if you can't see the motor, because some of these things you can't really see the motor, you're like, a guy on a hand cycle just passed me going 29. <laughs> You know, I'm like, <laughs> just crank. It looks like he wasn't even trying. That's probably me. Well, your marathon times are really quick. I mean, I'm looking at your times from last or in 2000 last year in Hawaii, and it was 2:20. So, I mean, you're you're probably flying past people. Yeah, especially in the run. Um, yeah. You know, the the chair times are are, are pretty fast. Um, uh, and the hand cycle obviously is a lot slower than the regular bikes, but mm-hmm. and it's they're just fun. Uh, you know, again it exercise and, and stink fit like there's nothing more fun that it's it's totally a high so. yeah 
Well, that was one, one other question that came to me when you're talking about that. How, how much do you do a lot of training indoors? Do you try and get out as much as you can or like, tell us a little bit more about your training. Yeah. You know what? It, it, um, it's so hard because, um, well, most of the year I, I'm outside and, and training outside, but I, I do do a lot of stuff on rollers inside okay. I have my compu trainer. And, um, and so I do a lot of that just for, you know, efficiency. And I, again, I, I'm usually working 40 or 50 hours a week. So, and in addition to training, so, you know, like most age groupers, it's like, you gotta just find your, and that's been the most efficient, but on the weekends, definitely I'm out there riding and outside as much as I can. And it, finding a safe road sometimes. And I live in Boston, right? So right. I'm having to drive 45 minutes to find a safe road here um, down where my parents live on the South Shore. So um, so that's, you know, on the weekends. And then during the week, it's on my trainer and and then in the pool. Yeah, yeah. makes sense. Yeah. All the city rides are fun too. Like I, I get, you know, like running in the city, I get my race here in, in South Boston and mix it up with some cars and... <laughs> It's not, not always the safest thing, but it's a little exhilarating going down hills with a couple inches from people's mirrors on the car. It scares them more than me. I yeah, think. probably. That's, hopefully they're not on their phones, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, very cool. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Jason. I think that was very inspirational and uh, I really commend what you do. And that's uh, awesome, man. Yeah, I hope yeah, to meet no, you in person it. one day, one of these days. Yeah, I like it. I'll I'll look you up Elliot, when I come out to Seattle next yeah. time, visit my brother. And, yeah, that'd be awesome. And, um, but yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. Good times. Yeah, cool. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for listening here, and uh, we'll talk to everybody soon. Awesome.